<laughs> I know. I always wish that I I got into radio. Um, just to be. But in a way, podcasting is kind of the new version of yeah, radio. Yeah, it's internet radio. But I also kind of wanted, like, to be able to play music too without getting, you know, copyrighted. <laughs> you know, I wanted to be able to have a voice, do a voice like this. Ninety-five, <laughs> The Wolf. Like yeah, I, did, I, I couldn't keep that up for like you know however long. Yeah, you're right. I, I can't like either. Three, uh, three, four hours, whatever it is. Yeah, well, but, um, but I mean, I guess I mean a lot of times them DJs they don't talk a lot. They just you know introduce the next song or they might say a little antidote. But then, yeah, the, I, don't then have, the, I don't have that that spontaneity that I think a lot of DJs have. But then like then there's some who just kind of talk about whatever. They don't have like those. It's like you the, know, do cool you ever see the quips. you ever see the bootleg version of Almost Famous and it shows yes. the guy from uh Tenacious D. Yeah, uh, Kyle Gass. Yeah, yeah, as the DJ that it, they go to a radio station and he's supposed to yeah, interview them. Yeah, he passes them, out. And he's like yeah, all he passes like out. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and they just keep talking. While or the he's best literally passed out. Or the best DJ scene in a movie which is Wayne's World. Uh, oh, in the man. second Wayne's World, when they're supposed to go do that interview about Wayne stock, and the guy's like not listening, he's like, "We could call you a complete tool, and you wouldn't even know." Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, handsome Dan. <laughs> but uh, oh, okay, uh, we're off to a great start here on the yeah, going off to a great start. Cinema let's, Discovery. Let's get back on track. Back yeah, on yeah, track. Cinema Discovery Project. We're back again here for another episode. We hope everybody's doing fantastic. And as usual, uh, I'm here. With, I'm Stephen Billings, and we, I'm here with my co-host, Mr. Andrew Cabral. How you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. We are back here. This is episode number twenty-seven. I always ask ask Stephen what it is because I can never keep track. Yes, um, he not always. Not the best asks. thing. I can in the world confirm for a this. co-host. It's okay. Uh, it's okay. Uh, but yeah, this episode, as you can tell by the title, will be a, another spotlight. And the spotlight's going to be on Shallow Grave, the Danny Boyle film from 1994. And the reason why we wanted to do it is because it's the 25th anniversary of the release of that film. That Before we get into it. That and Danny Boyle's freaking awesome. That is true. He's yes. a very, very good director. There's a lot of firsts. There's a lot of firsts in this movie. Yeah. So. There is a lot of firsts in this movie. Um, but uh, before we get into the main topic, which is that... Uh, we have some sad news to report in the passing of director John Singleton, who is someone we talked about when we did our kind of episode on the African, uh, you know, black directors in cinema. Yeah. And he's one of the, the few who has risen to prominence over, you know, the last, you know, 30 years or so. Um, and he sadly passed away literally today, a few hours ago, right before we are recording. Um, and his debut film was, of course, Boys in the Hood, which is probably the film he's most uh, notorious for, most known for. And he had a stroke, I believe, on April 17th, and it just kind of went down from there. Yeah. He, they had him on, they had him on life support. Yeah, and... he, like, went, he was in like a, like a medically induced coma or just in a coma in general. Um, and today his family decided to take him off life support, and he passed away a few hours ago, and really, really sad because it was abrupt, and he's he's young. He's at the relative young age, yeah, 51 50, years 51, old, yeah. which is very young these days. Um, and he was still readily active in the film community. He was producing a lot of, a lot of things, and he had just had his hands in a lot of areas, not necessarily um, actively directing uh, feature films, but he was 
a prominent figure in getting things off the ground, um, whether it be on television or in the you know the cinematic world. So he's a a big heavy loss. Um, yeah, you just you just never know like when when these these people that we know in the film industry or TV industry or whatever or music industry are gonna pass away. We kind of always forget that they're also human as well yeah. and they're also here for a limited it, amount of time like it, ourselves i just feel like just the this short you know we're four months into the year I feel like this has already happened a bunch you know the last few episodes we've had these untimely deaths happen in a lot this year um yeah yeah 2019 has been uh it's been pretty rough. rough for the for deaths of well-known people in the film world and Man, it's... I don't know if it's just because we're getting older and finally the people that we grew up with are now getting to that age. But like you said, I mean, John Singleton still very young. I mean, he, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, still really, really shockingly passing away too soon. If you want more about kind of his, uh, I guess, filmography and his career, I think we went into it. Uh, we went into him relatively, relatively well. Yeah, yeah. You know, in in our episode about black black directors and filmmakers who have risen to prominence. Um, but yeah, so, man, it's not the best way to, to start well, an episode, I mean, uh, but it sure. seems to be what yeah. we do. <laughs> you know, I, you know, we if somebody, you know, maybe even though this is sad, maybe this will give people reason to look into his stuff and, and, oh, and yeah, keep definitely. his memory Boy, alive, you know. Boys in the Hood is, a, you know, an he, unprecedented he, film. It's one of the best films of the 90s, probably. Oh, definitely, yeah. He, he you, did, didn't he co-wrote, he also uh didn't uh, Ice Cube co- co-write that with him? I'm pretty sure. Let me look. Um, I know it's one of maybe Ice Cube's first movie role. Yeah, well, it's his first. Yeah. At the time, he was still you know, you know, a prominent rapper or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I... it was written by John Singleton. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, of course, the film starred Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, maybe I'm thinking. I think him, I'm thinking of Morris Friday. Chestnut. He wrote Friday. I think you may be right. Yeah. That's, I think that's F. Gary Gray. He, he directed that, yeah. Yes. But, um, yeah, it's a bad loss. But uh, on other news, I guess maybe more uplifting news. Uh, not mm. really uplifting, but uh, Avengers uh, broke a bunch of records. Yeah, I, I didn't know if you wanted to bring this I up. Just I just figured we'd it, just bring it up it real quick. It is important. Yeah. It, it's important because it is cinematic history, whether you like it or not, or whether you're into that those movies or not. It's significant because it's never been done before in in this way you know just absolutely decimating all of the opening uh records opening box office records for an yeah. opening weekend and yeah movies already it was like in the billion dollars it's like 350 opening weekend domestically right over a billion like at 1.2 billion worldwide in the open it's yeah, crazy which is insane considering the overall leader of all time i believe is avatar which is sitting at about two point eight, yeah. Uh, you know, you know, entire entire box office take. So, does it have a chance to beat it? It, it does. It, it's possible. We'll, it, we'll it's, see. It's just a matter of repeat, obviously repeat viewings. Oh yeah. And the fact that the movie is three hours long might yeah. hurt it. Um, because I don't you gotta, know if it is, man. Well, the thing is, you got to think as the weeks go on, yeah. less theater, less theaters are gonna gonna show this movie not only that but like you won't get the same 
um, like theaters won't be open twenty four hours. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like that, they won't have the, four a.m. screening. The availability is going to is going to go down. Yeah, the availability of it will shrink in terms of you know show times. Yeah, but I think for people's fervor to see it or see it multiple times, um, I don't think that's going to go away. At least in the first two. I think it's going to make it to two billion, but I don't think it's going to make it Avatar big. Right. Yeah, it's, that's, that's my yeah, prediction. Yeah, it's unprecedented. Um, yeah, there was so much anticipation for it that you kind of knew it was going to blow the doors off the box office. Oh, I mean, yeah. this is a culmination of you know eleven years of a, a franchise. You know, a you know twenty two films, um, in in its entirety, and it's it's unprecedented to try to pull that off, to have that large of a cinematic universe. And to have it all kind of uh, interlock with one another and then kind of have a culminating final event. I know we've had franchises in the past. We've had franchises going back, you know, decades and decades and decades, but never to this extent, never this many films. Yeah, the closest. Granted, we've had like horror franchises. Where they don't have, count. You know, like, they're not that intricate. Friday the 13th and the part eight. You know what I mean? Like part seven. Nah. It's like they're not. It's not the same. The, the They're big, just kind of movies sharing the same title. The biggest, the biggest continuity. Yeah, the biggest you know we've I mean? had before this was Harry Potter. Yeah, Harry Potter did have eight films, um, that, you know, obviously were all part of the same world, all sequels to one another, all connected by the characters and whatnot. But this is even more varying because you had different films with different characters set in the same world, as opposed to Harry Potter, which had you know. Every you know the same characters in each film. Yeah. It's really remarkable. Now, granted, is it are these films amazing cinematic achievements? You know, when it comes to like whatever people like, you know, whatever the the subjectivity of the way people view films, perhaps not. You know what I mean? These are large blockbuster popcorn eating films. You know, this isn't you know films by these. These aren't art house films. These yeah. aren't films that are made to be. Uh, you know, aesthetic art pieces at times. You know, I mean, they're for probably basic entertainment purposes. Doesn't mean that they're not good for what they are, which I think they are. I mean, I've been engrossed in them for eleven years, so you know, I I obviously think there's somewhat there's somewhat value in them. But I know that here on the Cinema Discovery Project, we like to, you know, really dig down deep and find kind of the hidden gems and find you know a lot of the less celebrated films. But you also kind of have to realize that the more celebrated and mainstream films do have value as well. They do. They they're, do. Just, they're just different. There's definitely different values. And, uh, but, you know, everything affects each other. These big movies affect the smaller movies. So, yeah, you sometimes know, positively, sometimes negatively. Yeah. All depending on the situation. But with all that being said, uh, Stephen, you want to get into Shallow Grave? You want to get into a Shallow Grave? <laughs> uh, I don't necessarily want to be in one. Uh, I would rather be cremated, so you don't have to, even, oh, you don't okay. have to, be, you don't have to put me I'll, in the grave. I'll remember that if I'm around when the time comes. Okay, thank you. Uh, good to know, good to know. Always, It's always good to plan ahead. Yes. Um, unlike uh, the characters in this film who kind of just uh, did things in the moment, which mm. can lead to... Uh, negative results happening. But before we get into it, well, I do want to say that the reason why we're doing this because it is the 25th anniversary of the release of this film. It's Danny Boyle's first feature film. It's also the feature film debut for uh, Ewan McGregor um, as, a, as a lead. And he looks very young in this film. <laughs> but he also looks 
almost exactly the same now. It's very interesting he, how he much doesn't, he has he, not he aged. He honestly doesn't, <laughs> hasn't aged very much. Yeah, it's... No, not really at all. And he definitely shows a lot of ability as an actor that we obviously know uh, more of now. Um, but it also stars Christopher Eccleston, who, of course, has gone on to be in many, many films. He also was uh, one of the Doctor Whos. I think he was the ninth Doctor when they revived Doctor Who um, several years ago. They're now up to whatever. Um, but yeah, and it also the film also stars Carrie uh, Fox as well. Um, and yeah, this is a low-budget film. This is a film, I believe, was shot in Glasgow, Glasgow Scotland. And yeah, um, getting into it right away, it feels so Danny Boyle-ish. If yeah. you know Danny Boyle, especially like like 90s Danny Boyle. Like just the opening of this movie is so electric and energized. Yeah, he, you know, he with the he, music he, and the camera moving down the he, streets. Yeah, he moves the camera all this kind a of lot. stuff. Yeah. A lot and his films have such his at least this movie and Train Spotting have such energy to them. You know what I mean? This I feel like these two movies are somewhat connected because because they have that same vibe to them. Well, I I think I think that I think even though it does have that Danny Boyle stamp already there, I think this is still one of the more I would say the one of the more tamer uh, directing that he's done. Like there is a lot. Oh, of, yeah. There is a lot of just sitting shots that just sit there too. Yeah, there's um, a lot of things you could tell are very budget constraints. Yeah. Um, he didn't have a lot to work with in terms of money. Especially um, the apart, especially the apartment itself. It's very is, bare. It's very bare. Very bare and, and wide the, open. The walls are very just. You know, just one color, you know. Yeah, the movie's really only set in, like, oh, man, three or four places. Yeah, there's really not a lot of... Mostly just in the apartment, so it plays very much like a play, Yeah, if you think about it, because of the limited amounts of location. Um, And and before we get into it, we are, you know, going to spoil everything about this movie. Um, It technically didn't open here in the United States until 1995, but... We'll go with, you know, when its original original date actually opened, which was apparently in December of 1994. So they got it right in under that that year. Yeah. Um, it actually first opened in Australia, of all places. It didn't open in the UK until January 6th of 1995, but it opened in Australia in 1994. So technically that's that's where it is. So we'll call it 25 years. Yeah. That's yeah. a good place. Yeah, that's it sounds good. good. Uh, but yeah, so opening up here is we we have these three friends or flatmates uh, portrayed by as Ian they, McGregor, as they call Austin, what they call studio studio apartments. Yeah, flats uh, here. in in apartment flats are like code for an apartment in St- studio apartment. You know, right, a more right. a more open plan where there's like you know uh, usually a wide open kind of living room area that yeah, flows. It's like, you know, yeah, it's it's. It's usually cheaper, I think. It's I usually think. cheaper, yeah. Yeah, they're usually cheaper and like like wide open spaces, um, and yeah. So they're trying to f- and each character. Let me get the character names, so we don't keep calling them by their actor names. Yeah. So Kerry Fox is Juliet, Christopher Eccleston is David, and Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor is Alex. So they're trying to find a fourth flatmate because I guess they have an empty room. And so the movie starts off with kind of a series of mod, like a montage series 
of like them interviewing different people and just yeah. messing around with them, yeah. <laughs> just just screwing with them. They're asking them these absurd, absurd questions, um, like you know, you know, how do you how do you perform a, a satanic ritual, or how yeah. do you like listen to this artist and then name three of their top five hits, or yeah, yeah, yeah. or all kind of different things like, oh, are you divorced? Are you this? Are you and that? And then they Whatever. would take pictures with all of them, you know? Like, yeah, they yeah. would take pictures. They're just messing with them, and you get the feeling that these people are just kind of kind of jerks, <laughs> kind of asses. Especially the first guy that they do, Cameron, yeah. who's you know seems like a timid young man, and they just like laugh him out of the apartment. Yeah, because like they're like yeah. this guy's just a dweeb, you know. He's a- not cool. Alex, he's not, Alex yeah. will regret it later. <laughs> he will. He will regret it later. And but yeah, you get it, this idea that that yeah. they're kind of, they're you know they're fun, but they're kind of they're a little bit jerks. But they you can. But the big thing is, is you get this closeness between the three. Oh, that they're yeah. really, you know, they're really good the, friends. You see them uh, go out on the town. You see that they like to play racquetball. I think that's what it was. And like. Alex and David will play, and then uh, Juliet came in, and in the, in the gist you get is that Juliet ended up beating Alex, and yeah. they kind of, you know, they all laugh about it. They have a very, you know, like you said, closeness to them. And, but there's also there's a little bit of a sexual tension with, of course, having a female and two guys. Uh, the, the Alex character seems to have the hots for Juliet. Yeah, there is that kind of right off the bat, but there's almost a platonic nature to all three of them. Like, she obviously feels comfortable with sure. them enough to, I believe, one of the early scenes in the movie, just her, like topless, like walking out of like. Well, she 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 she's in the bathroom changing, and he yeah, gets the he is. gets the mail, and she. I don't think she necessarily wanted to to be topless in front of Alex, right. but she does it. I think partially out of uh, being annoyed and not caring, but also being a maybe somewhat flirtatious, just because. Well, yeah, well, the reason why I say somewhat platonic in the situation because there's no like. Like like extra stuff that you typically see in, in a scene like that, like oh like oh I didn't notice that or like there will be a, a there will be a longing look from the Alex character or yeah. something like that. There'll be something there, you know what I mean? Like something extra that would deem it to be. I think know, I think she knows te- uh, like teasing or sexual in any way. I, I think she think knows that he likes her, but right. it is kind of you know. Making it tough on him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think it's also something that kind of feeds into this that you notice, at least I notice right off the bat, is there's a sense of competition in the film. Yeah. Uh, right, right off the bat between specifically the two males in, in this, you know, triumvirate, between Alex and David, you know, with just the racquetball scene. Sure, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, it's very interesting how the film plays on the idea of you know the male ego and alpha maleism and and things like that, which kind of grows even more so as the film goes along. As as the but, as the kind of the crux of the movie makes its way in, yeah, uh, as it, cha- film, it changes the dynamics. Yeah, there's yeah. something that happens very very early in the movie where they do find a fourth you know person to take the room. Well, typically Juliet finds this person, and this guy's name is Hugo, yeah. and he's apparently a novelist, a writer. Um, they all have very uh, all the characters in the film have actually very defined careers that they really kind yeah. of go out of the way to establish as being part of their identities. Yeah, yeah. Juliet yeah. is a doctor. Yeah. David is a lawyer, and Alex is a journalist, or yeah. he works for a newspaper. So it, it's interesting how I think all of those three kind of fit into 
their characters, especially the David character, because he's the most uh, straight-edged, like yeah. stoic, um, conservative. I guess the term is. I don't know, like 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 playing by the rules. You know, but at one point um, early on in the film, he. Um, like I think it was one of his bosses, like upper bosses, like wanted to take a case. Well, yeah, this is something. This is this is after. This is later. This is. Oh, I think this is later. Okay, I think we'll it's a little it. bit we'll later. Yeah. But anywho, so the fourth guy is is this guy named Hugo, novelist, uh, writer, or whatever. And Juliet interviews him, and they have this, like you say, kind of flirtatious back and forth. Yeah. This kind of chemistry back and forth. And uh, there's even he even like answers the phone. She tells him to answer the phone. Just tell tell him I'm not here, right? And he yeah, does yeah. it, and then they have this great kind well, of back and forth. Yeah, I think I think she she looks at him and sees an interle- an intellectual of sorts, you know, being like, you oh know, yeah, he definitely comes off that way. Yeah, he comes off that way. So I think that's why she wants him in the house is because I think she's somewhat interested in him um, compared to the other two men that are already in the flat <laughs> who are kind of the complete opposites yeah one's kind of more carefree and one is serious yeah uh so this guy's kind of somewhat in the middle i guess yeah um, she's, she's but, definitely she's definitely i think selfishly wanting to bring him in for oh, her yeah, for her a, own reasons a, a, a romantic edge to that yeah so they they have they, there's a dinner scene where they have to meet him um and they decide that yeah, I guess he's he can good. Stay. You know, he has money, and Ewan McGregor sniffs his money. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, it does like, smell like can... it smells like the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, because they ask him, like, "Can you pay?" And he just like whips out like all these bill uh, pounds. Yeah, um, yeah, so they call it the British, you know, currency. Uh, all these the bills of pounds. I don't know if they call them bills. Uh, uh pounds. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess it's pounds. 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 I think they call them notes. Pound notes. Maybe out. Does it really yeah. matter? Does it really matter? No. Well, well, well it does. It it's does. about to matter in a second. In a second, because yes. okay, he, he moves in, and suddenly we and, you know, well uh, during this during this scene they, uh, he, uh, the the David character asks him, "Have you ever killed anybody?" And he then he's like, "No," but then you get a flash uh, uh, to him and and somebody else be, hit, getting immediately. Beating up some old man at an ATM, um, and that's where you start to now you know something about this this character you didn't know before. Um, so obviously, this yeah, new roommate Danny is Bo- a criminal of some kind, yeah. and that leads to kind of you know plays into the overall style of the film when it has that that kinetic uh, editing to it, and you know the cutaways like like you just said of him. Well, the one you know. Go on. The, yeah, the one thing about it is, though, is it's unless you're really paying attention, it's hard to know necessarily what because the, the cutaways are not done in any very distinct way. They're no. they're very much like abrupt. It, it, very abrupt and and stylistically they don't look different than the scene you were just in. It seems like you it, it you don't know, you have to really be paying attention to know that this is a a flashback of you know of sorts, um, right. So it, yeah, so it, it, I think this is, is definitely Danny Boyle figuring out his style in this movie. Um, oh yeah, it, and later first, on, visually, yeah. he would get a little bit more uh, uh, defined, defined, and more experimental. And yeah, for sure. But getting back to the plot, yeah. So Hugo moves in, and 
I think Alec, yeah, yeah, so it's the morning, and then Alex comes out and says, hey, has anybody seen him? And he, she's like, and Juliet's like, no. And then she asks David, David says, no, I haven't seen him. Um, so they basically, don't they just wait like a whole day and he well, still yeah, hasn't come out? Yeah, they still, they, of they, the room. Yeah, so they, they decide they want to break into the room. Um, yeah, they look, they look through the, they look through like the, the window that's on top of the door and they say, hey, and Alex says like, you know, hey, you know, it's your flatmate, whatever, just. And he's like, oh, I don't think anybody's in there. Yeah. And then, like, and then Juliet says, oh, the key is still. I can see the key through the keyhole on the other, on the other side. So she's like, oh, just break it down. And so they have this is another thing where they have like the kind of this this male dominance competition here, yeah. where like Alex tries to kick it in and he can't do it. So he's like, David, why don't you try? And then they, and then David tries to do it. So they then they both end up doing it. But it's another kind of small instance of you know, comp- competing with one another. Yeah. So they break him in, and then they see that he is dead. Yeah. Uh, not only is he dead, but he's just lying sprawled out naked on the bed. Yeah. Uh, com- just, you know, dead. And what we learn from the scene is, I think that he kind of OD'd on heroin, I it assume? Seem, it seems or some to... type of drug? The thing is, is the drugs weren't... They never really tell The they drugs really weren't say. near him. No, they were, um, in, they were in a drawer. Yeah. So, yeah, there was no needle... Or anything like that that they found, or you know, drug paraphernalia that was out, but it looks like he died somehow. Maybe it was a heart attack. It, it, or... it, it, it was probably an OD. I just think it was a little bit weird that that, that, that he, it was he, it was tucked away already. Yeah, not only that because usually when, unfortunately, when people overdose, it happens very quickly, like yeah. right after they you know shoot up heroin. That's unfortunately what happened to the late Philip Seymour Hoffman, where they. Yeah literally found him with the needle still in his arm, how yeah. graphic that is. Um, and they, they've shown that in movies and TV shows many, many times. And so they he's dead, and uh, so Juliet's a doctor, so she's inspecting him or whatever, she covers him up. And Alex, who has absolutely no uh, sense of decorum or mor- morality, just snooping around, just, just going yeah, through his Don't you want to know why? And, and, he's he, like, oh, and he's, he's the like, one oh, that finds... checking the, it out. Yeah, he's the you one know? that finds the needles and the... Yeah, yeah he, but he's like going through like his clothes and his jacket, and then then he pulls out the suitcase. And by this point, Juliet has gone into the other room because they're gonna call the police to get to get the body out of there. Yeah, and she's on the phone with the emergency uh, people, and he walks in. You don't see the money right away. It's done very well, where he just opens it, and there's a look of like awe on his face, and you don't know what's in the the suitcase. You don't know what he's looking at until he he the way they do it is it's kind of a almost a POV shot of him walking towards her. Uh but it's not quite POV because it's, it's, it's somewhat in it's the frame. From, it's from the viewpoint of the of Ewan McGregor walking towards her. Yeah, yeah and yeah. then and then she turns and she sees all the money, then she hangs up. So yeah. they so now we get to the main the, moral crux of the plot. Yeah. This is what changes this the money. characters for good. This changes everything. Yeah. As as greed does to a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. It's one of the biggest themes of the movie is greed. And more specifically, how greed corrupts you and turns you into something you never knew you, you were going to be. And it's very interesting how the film ships from here on and how these characters kind of descend into kind of madness, if you will, a little bit. Yeah. Um, so basically they just, they don't know what to do with the money. They basically have this kind of argument or conversation. It's like, Oh, 
like uh, basically Alex wants to keep it. Um, David wants to, you know, call it in. And I think Juliet is kind of, she says she wants to call, call the police, but then Alex challenges her to do it and she kind of freezes. So she doesn't, so she doesn't do it. And then, and then kind of like time goes by and the body, and you get shots of the body just like still in the bed, just like lying there because they haven't disposed of it yet. Uh, and it's, and it's, and the way that it's shot and the way that it's just played off in the film is, is rather comedic, but it's dark comedy. It's yeah. black comedy. You know, this movie's kind of a black comedy crime drama film, if that makes any sense. And and the comedy comes from the absurdity of this situation where they're just leaving this dead body there yeah. while they figure out what to do. Um, yeah, so basically, the the end of it... the their final re- is this the part where yeah this is the part where david sees his boss and the boss is like hey we want you to do this work because you know you're a, you're the, exactly the type of man we like around here yeah. uh, boring essentially <laughs> <laughs> boring and so he's like in the law library and he's just looking at everybody just going around doing their work kind of like you know, like drones, if you will. You know, their lives are just kind of buried in their work. There's just, it's just not a good way to, to live, essentially. So he's kind of just sitting there, and it's ruminating in his head about this money and about what to do, and basically comes to the conclusion that he wants to keep the money. Yeah. So now this now this leads to, okay, what do we do with the body? And they decide they're going to get rid of the body. They're going to dispose of it in the way in which uh, you would find gangsters disposing of bodies or serial killers disposing of bodies or just kind of psychotic people in general disposing of bodies yeah they decide they want to cut up the you know cut the feet off cut the head yeah they're gonna dismember it and bury it out in the woods yeah and there's a scene and it's played we we sound like we the way I'm describing it is like it sounds dark and oh like morbid or horrific no, it's played lightly in the film. Yeah. Specifically through the character of Alex, who, you know, while they're going through like this hardware store, he's like, Okay, we're gonna need we're gonna need this hammer, we're gonna need this saw. Oh yeah, that'll be a good one to like yeah. saw and we're gonna need we're gonna need a spade. Don't you think we need a spade? Yeah, we'll get two of them. You know what I mean? And it's just like and then and, and David's like, um, no, I don't really wanna do it. Like I don't feel comfortable doing it. Um, and it's like, what are you talking about? We all agreed we would all do it equally. So we, basically, they all share, you know, the responsibility. Yeah. They all share, you know, I guess the blame, if you will, or whatever. So not, so none of them can, like, I guess, hold over one responsibility to another. So they, I guess, they all agreed upon doing it. And um, so while they're, and what is interesting is, um, before they dispose of the body. Uh, Juliet says she doesn't want now she doesn't want to take part in it either and they decide that they're going to they're going to draw straws to see who does what I think yeah and David draws the short straw so he's going to be cutting up the body I believe because uh, they want to basically they want to cut the they want to cut the hands and feet off have them and have those like incinerated in an incinerator and then buried like, like the rest of it yeah. or whatever 
Uh, but they also want to. Well, like, they, they, um, they pull the teeth too. They, any way to, to the in the ways but, that you identify a body. Yeah. Yeah, and they want to like mangle the face so that it's unidentifiable if it's ever found. Um, it's really dark stuff. Really dark yeah. stuff. <laughs> and and so David has to do it, and and um, Alex is going to be digging, and Juliet I don't think is going to be. She's going to end up. She actually ends up dis- disposing of the hands and feet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a cut here and I want and Stephen, maybe you can help me here. What there's, um, there's a cross cutting sequence that happens with them disposing of the body, like, like taking it out of the room and putting it in the, and bagging it up, putting it in the van, putting all the supplies away, all that stuff. And with someone being interrogated as to where the whereabouts are yeah. of this Hugo character. And the way in which it's cross-cut, I think, is very interesting because the the way the transition is from uh, from one scene to the other, at least initially, is they're dunking the guy's head into this bathtub that's all that has red water in it, but it's like this pinkish red water in it. Yeah. Um, and it's you know they're just torturing the guy. Uh, they actually end up you know killing the guy, and they don't get the information that they're looking for. But it leads us to kind of believe that Hugo was into something that wasn't exactly legal. He, he, was, he, maybe he was, he, he wasn't just a writer. No, he, well, obviously having all that money, he was into something. We already knew he was a criminal of some kind because he, right. we'd already seen the flash to him killing somebody. And, to get, to and get, he did have drugs on him. Yeah. So perhaps he was involved in some type maybe of Maybe he was, he did dealing. a, maybe he did a job and decided to take the money for himself. Yeah, and a double cross. Either left his partners out to dry, or the people that he owed the money to are now coming after him. So. Right, and who knows if Hugo was even... Well, I mean, maybe it probably was his real name if they're using it. But, um, so yeah, there's that great... There's a great cross-cutting there. And and there's the, and then there's the scene of them digging, which always was very um, interesting to me. Even when I watched the film for the first time a few years ago... Uh, and very interesting to me now, just the way in which it's done to the point where you don't see any of the gore at all. Yeah, yeah. It's done like in silhouette with this like bright red background and just this these colors and just what you see is um, you'll see uh, David just like sawing away. But you won't see what the saw is actually sawing. You won't see the body. You don't see the blood. You don't see nothing. It's just like his expression and the aggression that's in it and just what the anguish that he's in to get this done. And the same thing kind of with Alex when he's digging. And and Juliet's off to the side kind of nervously smoking a cigarette, I believe. Yeah. And it's just it's a really powerful moment because up until this point we are we we must believe that none of these people have ever done this before <laughs> this isn't something that they're equipped to necessarily do so they're put in this really extraordinarily dark situation that is completely foreign to them and now we're seeing how much that takes out of them, I think kind of like chips away at their humanity well, because spe- we see it right away well, yeah. right, like the scene right after well yeah, but especially David. Yeah, David is the most disturbed by w- what is happening right now. Yeah. Um, because I think he maybe he is the most straight-laced that this kind of shatters his world 
more so than with Alex, or even more so than with Juliet, who deals with kind of human bodies and human biology on a daily basis because she's a doctor, so she understands how, you know... Well, I mean, you see how the human body can be. Well, you you see how she reacts when they find the body in the first place. She doesn't. She doesn't get upset. She just is like, "Well, that's I. You know, I see this all the time. That's what dead bodies look like." Wasn't there even like a a there was a, there was a line at one point in the movie where Alex goes, "You're a doctor, don't you kill people for a living?" or something <laughs> like that. And I was like, "That's not necessarily a hundred percent true, but okay." Uh, and you, and so the next scene is you get that that lovely uh, close up of David's face, and he, there's just it's moving in three hundred and sixty degrees around the frame. And you just see that there's something wrong with him mentally. You can see it in his eyes. He's kind of broken in some way now. And this is when the film like descends even more into, you know, his psychosis. He's really the one, like we said, who who takes it um, the the worst. And and so that what they do is they they put the money up in the attic. Well, he does that. Yeah, he yeah. kind of does. Well, I, yeah, he kind of does that himself, where he takes the money, and the, it's an attic, but it's also called a loft, because yeah. there's, yeah, because it's kind of it's like a crawl space. You can't really live up there, but he does it, and I think, and he puts it in a plastic bag, he wraps it up with duct tape to kind of seal it, and he puts it in this container up there that has water in it. And I'm not quite sure what this container is. Uh, it might it might be some kind of uh, something to do with maybe the uh, maybe the toilet you know the to- toilet locom you know system or something like that. I don't know something to do with the air conditioning or something that you know I don't know. But yeah, uh, he's basically doing it out of paranoia, and he kind of does it. I think as you know a way like for their well-being or whatever because he can kind of i guess he very well much yeah i mean he he he, he was situation. he went through with everything but now he's too afraid to want to even spend the money like he like thinks that they could get caught now he's afraid to get caught for what they've done so now yes. yeah yes he does yeah he is so he's very like i said paranoid and there's another scene in in there somewhere of these two you know gangster type guys roughing up another person they, they have somebody like in a freezer or whatever to give up um you know to, to find the whereabouts of hugo um i have to say that's one of the weaker parts of the movie for me because like they never really tell you how they find out yeah. where hugo went or who or like there's just kind of two scenes with these guys and then they kind of just show up because i mean um, they get rid of hugo's car he tosses it off. They they send yes. it over a cliff into a quarry. <laughs> yeah, they get rid of Hugo's car. Uh, yeah, kind of dump it out. And then there's a, there's another scene in there where um, Alex and Juliet go on like a bit of a shopping spree where they buy like a... Uh, <laughs> A, a well, they, they, yeah, they dip into the money. Um, they dip into the money, which I think is what leads David to to put it away because okay, he yeah. like he, when he returns he goes how much did the how much did this cost how much did this cost yeah the, and the camera they were like oh yeah. they're like i don't know and then she goes like 500 pounds 500 british pounds and he's like 500 pounds and, you know and he starts like freaking out about it yeah because it, typically 
I've seen this in many movies and TV shows. When you, when people come into like a big lump sum of money illegally, the first thing you're you're not supposed to spend it a lot because that's very suspicious. Yeah, but you, you know got to be mean? able to explain. Well, there's know, that, I mean, yeah. we're going a little off track here, but there's the scene in Goodfellas after the the Lufthansa heist, where you know they where they tell the people who are involved, you know, don't make any big cash. Yeah. You know purchases and then like one dude buys a car and then the other guy buys like a fur coat for his his, yeah. his wife and it's like and Robert De Niro's like what, what are you doing <laughs> you can't be doing this um because that that's how they that's how they get you and so he's very paranoid about this but and that's when he goes up to the attic and he starts living up there maybe to protect the money or to hide away we're not quite sure but they become uh, Juliet and Alex become concerned, I guess, about his mental health, and they decide that, you know, that, that, that at one point they decide that they want to check up on him. Um, but that does that happens later in the film. I'm getting off track. Um, I think I'm getting off track. But anyway, there's a part. The well, guy, there's a part. There's a part yeah, where they go to a party. Um, there we go. Yeah, yeah, we get, go yeah, to the yeah. party part. Yeah. Yeah, That's and a good part. yeah, and you know. He's not, David's, of course, not really having a good time. It's not really his scene. He's also, of course, still very uh, distraught of the whole situation. But uh, Juliet and, and uh, David, or, or Alex, I mean, are, are having a good time and dancing. And um, they finally kind of get in, you know, get him to loosen up. Uh, David yells at some random dude who wants to try to talk to Juliet. <laughs> he does. It's yeah. the yeah. This guy's called Brian, yeah. and he was the one who actually coincidentally called on the phone earlier in the film. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, he bro he he blows up at him. But this is the scene where Alex and Juliet, I think, get closer romantically. I don't know if you saw that, but I saw it. Yeah, you do. Um, they she, dance she, with one another, and she sees a uh, sense of strength in him that she didn't see before. I think. Well, I would. Well, I meant Alex. I meant the you, you and McGregor character. Yeah. Because they dance and they have this kind of flirtatious vibe. Well, I think it's another. both. I think both. Like or I, both. Yeah. I, I think both Alex both. and like I mean Alex definitely in the scene with the dance and she well, like. She comes yeah, up to him while he's on the floor, and she, you know, that's he, the one I'm talking. That's the yeah. scene I'm talking about. Yeah, where she kind of steps on his chest playfully. Yeah, and then there's this look between one another that's very. And he, and he kisses her on the like on the leg, the foot. But then when yeah, that yeah. scene when that scene happens where uh, David blows up at the at the the random I guess ex boyfriend or or date that she went Some on. Guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I think she like sees a different side to him, and and I think there's a little bit you see it in her face where she's just kind of like in awe of the person she didn't realize you know because he's always very timid and very right. you know inside his own head and you know I, I think that she obviously is now kind of like. I think she looks at him a little differently too. So it's, but at the in that moment, I think her and Alex are kind of starting to, you know, right. And this is the scene. This is the moment where uh, the young gentleman uh, Cameron comes back in the scene because he's like oh, working God. as a waiter there, or he's just working there at this thing. And they 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 call him over, and then and then they just kind of laugh him off away again. Yeah. Um, and then uh, he and then Cameron Particu- and a, particularly Alex does it. Yeah, then Cameron and a bunch of dudes confront Alex in the in the, in the bathroom. bathroom and beat him up. Yeah. <laughs> and they beat him up, which he probably deserves. Yeah. But this is also the scene that started off because it's a charity event. 
And it's a charity event to raise money for like six children. And, and Alex goes, I hate children. Let them die. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that's like kind of the dark humor that that character yeah. has and that this film has in general. Um, so, yeah. He, yeah, so. And then the scene transitions to her, uh, to Juliet, uh, like, fixing his face and whatnot because, like, his, his nose got all messed up. Um, and this is when, and I think that we're getting very close to when these three, these other two guys show up. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, this is yeah. This is when the other two criminals. Uh, he's up. Uh, uh, David's up inside the the loft, and then these two guys show up and start, you know, going right away, just going right at him. Um, they they put a bag over Alex's head and they start hitting him in the shins. Yeah, with they a, tie with up, a bat. They tie up Juliet. Yeah. Um, yeah, put her, then, yeah, put her sweater over her head, yep. and 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 then Alex kind of screams out that the money's up in the loft, you know. Right. And so they obviously see the the ladder. Yeah. The ladder there that goes up to the loft. And the one and the they, one guy goes up, and all you hear is a thud. You know. Ooh, he goes up there, and you see David like behind some beam or something. He's yeah. got a, he's got the hammer, and then that's when you hear the thud, and then yeah. the other guy goes up, and gets thrown he down gets from, too. well he gets killed yeah. and then he's you just see him get thrown down into the into the the floor below through, yeah, yeah. through the yeah. through the the hole yeah yeah he fall he goes down then he then david throws the other guy down and then he goes down and he you know starts to inspect spec the body things but in that moment you could have easily had david snap and try to kill his flatmates like yeah. he's like that off kilter at this yeah. point like he just committed like two murders i mean you and know didn't know really bat an of. eye yeah yeah you can know what he's capable of so basically he yeah he gets thrown yeah so now they have to dispose of these two bodies again so now they've got to go back out to the woods but this time they don't really they don't really they don't really show you they just kind of no. show them driving out there because you assume the, that that now that that was so easy for David, this will be. And it's done yeah. and the way it's done. Like there's a sense of like foreboding or a sense of dread to where there's no there's no dialogue that happens. Yeah. Like there's no dialogue that happens between the friends. They just kind of cut to them sitting in the car driving out to the woods. There's like a wide shot of the car driving. You know into the woods or you know by the woods and then there's just another cut uh i believe of david just with that red vibrant background and that silhouette of him just sawing away yeah. just like aggressively sawing away and yeah so this guy is even farther down the road of insanity if you will like he's even more broken now um and this is when the film you know goes it goes even more so because this is when we're getting kind of the final third act of the film, the film is not very long. The film only is about 93 minutes or so. So it's a very short film and very easily for us to kind of digest. But as you can tell, there's a lot of things happening in this movie for such a short film. Um, and it, you know, it happens very quickly and very, you know, from moment to moment, there's no, what I like to call fat in this film, you know, like kind of extra scenes you don't really need. Just like, throwaway scenes that don't serve well, the, the plot the plot is cut to the bone you know the plot mean? itself Edited is plots. a very simple plot i mean it's right. not yeah you don't spend a lot of time uh in their in their everyday lives and like you said there's only a few different 
uh, sets, you know, a few different, uh, you know, locations in this movie. Um, so they, they, you know, when it's your first feature, a lot of times the best thing to do is to do something simple, something you can only only need a few locations for and only a few actors. Because really this whole movie only has, what, maybe maybe ten actors? Yeah, maybe. Um, and, like, not many with actual speaking roles. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Only there's three main leads, and, and the rest are kind of support, very supporting. Um, yeah, they're in and out. They're yeah. minuscule. I mean, the guy who, who started this whole, you know, downward spiral is only in, like, two scenes before he yeah. dies. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Um, so, yeah, what we also learn, I can't remember if it's after this or if it was before the two dudes showed up. Maybe it was after is that Juliet buys a plane ticket to Rio. I think de it was right. I think it was right after this. Yeah. I think it was right after this. Yeah, where yeah, obviously she is, you know, thinking about jumping, jumping ship. She's about jumping ship, and but and then she, yeah, go on. I was gonna say then this is when the cops start to get involved. Yeah, the cops start circling around now because they first show up. Because there's a burg at at one point during the film, there's a burglary in one of the apartments below them. So they show up and they talk to David, who, of course, at this point, is looks suspicious as all hell Indeed. about anything. And they question him about it. And he and, and this was the point where Juliet, yeah, Juliet and Alex were meeting up in like some park because they were concerned about Alex's, you know, mental health. This is what I was getting at earlier, which I, I, I was way, way, way too soon. And they... So they decide to go to go and kind of have like an intervention, I guess, with him or just talk to him. Yeah. Uh, Alex doesn't want to do it because he's like, the last time someone went up there to see him, uh, they ended up dead. <laughs> dead. And, and so but he, he eventually decides to do it. So they return back to the flat and he goes up there and he's like, hey, you know, buddy, I just want to talk to you, man. Just calm down. You know, I just want to just talk to you very peacefully. Like, and he goes up there and uh, David's not there. David's not there, but he finds the where the money is, um, and he's looking around. Uh, like apparently, David had a mattress up there, and he's looking around. But but David is in some part, other part of the flat, and he comes up and he grabs Juliet and he covers her mouth. And the way it's done is really well done. It is yet again a POV sh- shot of just the camera getting closer and closer and closer, as if someone you know running towards Juliet, and he just grabs her. Um, and he basically says, he tells Juliet, look for the, tell him to look for the money. And she does, and he's like, oh, that's what I'm doing. Uh, but Alex eventually finds it in the bag in that water container. Um, but then he comes down the stairs, and you can see he has his hands behind him, and he's kind of wiping the, you know, the wetness off of his hands, because I don't think he wants David to know that he knows where the money is. Yeah. Uh, and David is like, you know, you know, who, who have you been talking to? Like, who are your friends? And this is the because poli- the police showed up right before this. Well, so now he's yeah. spooked beyond, you know. Well, reason. also, also, when what we forgot is what happened just before this is that he drilled all them holes oh, in the ceiling. Yes, he did. Yeah, he drilled all these essentially peepholes. Yeah. in the ceiling so he can keep an eye out and spy yeah. on his his friends, see what they're doing, and. Yeah, that's it's very deranged, uh, paranoia type behavior. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he 
he he accuses them of kind of conspiring against him and they you know they obviously aren't conspiring because they're kind of at this point they're more worried about his well-being than the money but the money is still always looming around there the money is still always a constant you know rem threat and reminder of what they've done so it's kind of like know, the tall tale heart yeah you know, it really is you know in a it, way yeah. yeah the the edgar Allan poe story it kind of has that yes, feel to it yeah so what ends up happening after this um because nothing violent happens at this point but what ends up happening after after this is the bodies are discovered yeah and coincidentally uh <laughs> alex who works for the newspaper has to go cover the story this is your big. This is your big scoop. This is your big. Yeah, chance. your big scoop. <laughs> it's very. It's very interesting. Kind of another comedic situation where he's called in to see the boss, and the boss goes, you know, he asks. He didn't. He didn't ask him about the bodies, but there's like these, these three bodies. He's like, I, I didn't know anything about them. He's like, of course you don't know. I'm telling you this now. So he goes there, and of course, uh, there's all kinds of news reporters. There's police. There's crime scene people there's coroners there's whatever it's a crime scene you know it's a murder yeah. these people are grisly they call them like you know these are grisly murders that are you know the bodies are destroyed beyond recognition all the gory details and he's sitting there like hearing uh the police uh police captain or whomever just like like talk to the reporter saying yeah you know we have we can do you know, we're going to find the identities, and then once we know the identities, we'll tell you about them and all that kind of stuff. And he freaks out and basically runs away. And he runs home. And and while he, but while this is all happening, um, Juliet and David become closer. Yeah. Right. Like romantically closer. Um, and. Well, she's, well, she, this is where you see Ju of, Juliet's kind, kind of, of aligning herself. With yeah, the yeah, she, I think it's. That's why I, I'm not. Yeah, it's not. I don't think it's genuine. No, I think, no. like you say, I think it's strategic. Yeah. You know, she's aligning herself with someone who has the money, or whom she believes has the money. Knows the, money the money slash is. seems to be the more physically, uh, you know, capable man in the house. Because <laughs> Alex isn't. So. You know, like this guy is obviously scaring Alex. You know, like David's scaring out. You know, he's not going to be able to. Yeah, there is that that whole alpha maleness yeah. theme that's throughout the film. I guess it's kind of cropping up here, and she is, I guess, aware of it. And what do women and, do? What do women do? Wants them, what, what, what do women do? They always go for the alpha male. <laughs> not necessarily, but I mean, it, it's not the. It's not, this isn't the animal kingdom. It's not not lying. We are an, we are mammals. <laughs> that's true, um, but. She does it because she has that contingency plan of wanting to get out of the country. Sure, she wants but, to go to but, Rio but de David, but David knows about it. <clears throat> oh yes, he found yes, the ticket. He, does. he found he the hasn't ticket. Yeah, which he reveals later. Um, yeah, so Alex comes home and it's like, oh, I've seen like you two have gotten closer. Da, 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 da. He picks up on that right away. Yeah, um, and and this, isn't this the scene? No, it was the, the scene before was uh, the one way after he. I want to point this out. I completely forgot. Well, after he comes down the stairs, Alex threatens him with a drill, and he drills. He drills a little tiny, like cut into his forehead, 
um, kind of, which kind, just of kind of remains there. Kind of, kind, the kind of symbolizes that he knows what's in his mind. Yeah, you know, yeah, like I a peephole. So. Like he's using the peepholes to keep an eye on him, and he puts a little hole in his head. Like I know what you're thinking. Like I know what yeah. you're going to try to do. <laughs> yeah. So this. So, like I said, Alex comes home and. You know, basically shows them, hey, have you read the newspaper today? And they're yeah. like, it's like, yeah, we We're, we uh, got this. Know, we saw it on the TV. It's, in, it's all in control. You know, we you know we they don't have anything. There's no way they can connect it to us. Yeah, they don't yeah. have anything. There's no nothing to connect them to to them. And then the inspectors come. The detectives show up again. This is now a second time, and now and they're denying everything you know they're like they they show them the three pictures because obviously they've identified the bodies and they're like do you know these three men they're like nope nope never seen these people before i think they 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 interview them individually we only see i think we only see them interview juliet and alex and not david or i can't remember if they saw all three um but yeah that's that that they interview all of them and obviously at this point they are now beyond paranoid to the point where where they're just you know things are reaching a fever point yeah. a fever a fever pitch here and basically david decides that he's going to skip out without them one night uh one i think it's the morning or the night no i think it's in the middle of the night yeah, it's yeah. In the middle of the night. he packs his bags he's getting ready to go grab it you know he's got the money case he takes it out of the water he's, he's ready to go what i really like about every time they went and put either put the money in or no put the case in the water or put it or took it out of the water or just like looked at it there's this great camera angle shot of like inside the container below the 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 case so you can kind of like see them like looking in it's kind of like a trunk shot but it's not a trunk it's a giant water thing um I always it, really like that shot. The, so the, he takes the money. The well, it's I was gonna say it's funny. Yeah, it's funny the, um, you know, usually the symbolism of water in movies is is the sense of, uh, you know, clean uh, cleanliness, uh, you know, healing, and yeah, and cleansing the know. cleansing of stuff. And it seems the money is is their cleansing. <laughs> it's the is their I guess yeah. Has, dirty, has, well, what's interesting is that the money is literally dirty money. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah, they got. You know, it was either gotten through a robbery. It's or like the cleanest. Thing. Now it's like the, causing the, all this. You know, the cleanest thing in this. The cleanest thing in this scenario is the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The money's just a tool. Not even a tool. It's a, it's a MacGuffin almost. Yeah. It's just a thing that's in the plot that everyone's revolving around. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or trying to get, and in the scene, like they're literally it's kind of what causes all these problems. In the scene, he gets uh, David gets caught, you know, leaving with the money, because you know the plan was that he and Juliet were going to go together, and the Juliet says, "Oh, you're leaving without me," uh, and you know Alex comes out, and then this is when David confronts her about the plane ticket to Rio de Janeiro. Which well, is like, da- oh. da- well, Alex was about to call the cops. Yes, he was. I forgot about that. Yeah. He he took the phone into the other room. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember phone lines being that long. In, yeah, in, this back is a in long. Fo- it's a long phone line. Yeah, to the point where you could like carry it across an apartment and into another room. <laughs> How long is this phone line? Thing goes on for a mile. Um, so yeah, he takes it and he tries to call. He calls the, de- the detective, and he's not he gets in. his answering service. Yeah, and, Appa- he, and, and, and the cop said he could call him anytime. 
Yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> you think you would have, like, an emergency number. Like, I'm not in my office right now, but if it's an emergency, call or whatever it is. And no, that's guess that's not the case. Terrible cop. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess he doesn't really take his job too seriously. <laughs> um, he's only, like, a murder uh, uh, homicide detective. So he come yeah, so... Basically, David notices that, you know, the phone's in the other room. He's like, hey, Alex, you know, come out. He's like, grabs the phone phone line and yanks it so that, the you know, the phone goes across the room. And then they come out. And this is when we have the final confrontation of of these three quote-unquote friends. Because by this point, are they really friends? Mm. Or are they just mostly three people on the verge of, you know, killing each other over this money? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of where they are at this point. They went from like best friends to bitter enemies, all because of money. Yeah. So, they basically get in this gigantic fight where. Well, I mean, uh, first, for well, the, yeah. the 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 David character punches. Yeah, I was gonna say Juliet. It starts off with David hitting Juliet. Alex comes in and says, "You know, you shouldn't have done that." So he kind of grabs him on the back, and then they kind of fight all over yeah. the apartment. They end up in the kitchen, which of course are where all the fun things are that you can use to harm yes, one another. Yes, <laughs> and and they're getting like they put David's at one point. They put the uh, Alex puts David's head in the in the fridge, and he just <laughs> slammed the door on it, so his glasses like fall off. Um, you know, someone gets slammed on the table. Uh, someone gets slammed, of course, where there happens to be sharp objects. Some knives kind of go flying around. Um, so, uh, at at one point, David has Alex pinned down on the floor. He's got his he's got his arms pinned. He's got everything. He's got he's basically dead to rights. So he, he grabs one of the one of the kitchen knives, stabs him through the shoulder area. It's not a fatal blow. Now it's he tries to probably cl- shoulder. He probably tried to hit him in the heart, but missed. Yeah, but he missed like he missed. pretty bad. It's yeah. up like, like a, like w- below, like the upper. It's right the collarbone area. area. Yeah. yeah, he get, he gets him in there, right? And of course, yeah. it hurts. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it stuck to stab. It went through into the floor. Um, yes, it does. And, well, and, not yet. Well, not, not into the floor yet, but it's definitely quite. through his back. It's through his sweater. There's that one like inserted shot of the knife. Like kind of poking through the sweater, through his sweater. Yeah. Um. But but then as that happens, right after that happens, uh, then Juliet stabs yeah. David through the neck. Yeah, it's pretty gruesome. It's pretty um, awesome. Well, well, David's about to go in for the kill because he got another knife, and then Juliet stabs him through the neck, and you see like the knife pops out through like yeah. the, where his Adam's apple is, um, and then yeah, and then he he obviously keels over because yeah, that's kind of a fatal blow for yeah. the most part. And then she, and then you think that maybe she's gonna help out her friend Alex. Being a doctor, oh, no. being a doctor, oh, no. she could probably, you know, maybe. Yeah, her, that that oath that those doctors take, uh, she really threw that out that yeah. out the window. She takes her trash. shoe. Yeah, she threw. She takes her shoe off and decides to beat it in further. <laughs> oh yeah, she decides to beat the knife in further, uh, so that it does end up sticking into the floor. Yeah. So he's pinned there and bleeding to death slowly too, mind you. And then she she takes the case and she leaves. And I believe it then cuts to... Um, he's laying the, there. Yeah, he's laying yeah, there on the like floor. The crime scene investigators are taking photographs of yeah. him. People are walking around. And there's a little a little narration with uh, Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. Um, that is kind of a mirror or kind of a, you know coming full circle from the opening of the film. Which also had narration from him as well. 
um, which is something they used heavily in Train Spotting, which would be uh, Danny Boyle's next film after this one. Um, so, yeah, they're taking pictures, and then there's a there's a cutaway shot of Juliet just freaking out in the car. She's just like she's screaming and she's just beside herself, um, and not knowing the situation or what's about to be revealed, you could you could have assumed that it was her raging about the actions of what just happened. Yeah, you know, her committing murder, her literally leaving her other friend to die, all that kind of situation. But but no, uh, sitting next to her in the in the passenger seat is the open suitcase full of newspaper clippings that, of their, of, that were money. that were of the crimes that they committed <laughs> yeah coincidentally of the crimes that they committed and there was a moment earlier in the film before this kind of climactic event that that showed ewan mcgregor's character cutting you know the newspaper like cutting like sheets of newspaper yeah so this is obviously what that was for and the film ends with um and in the film uh, and then we see a shot of uh, Ewan McGregor, who is still there on the floor, and then there's, then there's the camera pans. Well, this down was a, this was a, this was a weird thing to me because on, they're taking a picture of him, and he's still on the floor with the knife through his. Is he actually alive, or is this like? I in, think he's dead. Is he? Yeah, I that's what I think. Dead. I think so too. Because because I it, think he's dead. It's just a Danny Boyle playing with surrealism. Yeah, yeah. In that moment, that's what I think. Uh, because I rewinded a few times to see if there was a quick shot of just showing him dead, and there isn't. He's like awake through the whole thing. Yeah. Because um, you don't just like, you don't leave somebody that's hurt on the floor and take pictures of them. That's not how it works. No, no, no. The, the ambulance, the rescue workers would come in and yeah, get him out of there really quickly or yeah. tend to him very quickly. So there, like I said, there's a panning shot of below him where all of the money is underneath the floorboards in the kitchen. So who do you think did that? Do you think it oh, was Alex. David? Is David did it? Or, I mean, it doesn't really matter. You think Alex did it? When did Alex have time to do that? I do not know, but I know Alex did it because there's no way David would be leaving with... With the, the well, sure. Money. I mean, he he's the one that put the he's <laughs> he was, the one he was like halfway out the door. I mean, it makes you sense, I, mean? I guess, because he's the one that put the newspapers in the in the thing. Um, he was the one cutting up the newspapers, uh, right? But I, think I just it was Alex. Yeah, yeah. I get. I would. I, I guess it would be. It just. I'm trying to think of when he could have gotten to the. We money. never saw it. We yeah. honestly never saw it, and that's another th- kind of negative I have with the film is that you have to like. There's like holes in it that you have to fill in yourself. Yeah. And, and which is not necessarily the worst thing a film can do, but there are like serious kind of like plot like little empty some things you kind of the convenience in. some of the conveniences you some have of the to convenience like that are really like like how did they know like how did the detectives know to go interview these three people after they identified you know who the bodies were did yeah. they was there evidence that they if well, there was it, evidence that they that the only thing the only thing that connected the crime the only thing that kind of connected them yeah. was that they said that the cars of the two criminals were outside their apartment um the two that were other that were killed um yeah, it, it could have they could have literally but that doesn't necessarily mean that like, they sure. were the ones you know what i mean like there could have been it could have they could have those criminals could have gone into another building sure or they could have gone into another you know, apartment place. Or it's a, it's a little convenient. Just dump the car there. There's a lot of plot conveniences, uh, and then, you know, it's a lot of kind of 
you know, ho not holes, but like, like you said, conveniences. Um, also, like, for me, like, just the the general crux of, you know, the, the main event, you know, of the guy dying and the money being left, I mean, there was a way I think you could have kept the money and still have just had the guy be taken away through legal means. I didn't... I don't think you you had to have him... You had to, like, cut up and dispose of his body. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, granted, I think that they just didn't want this guy's name in newspapers or on the news or anything like that because I guess they didn't want anybody coming around asking about him. You know, I guess they wanted it to be like, oh, he was never here at all. Yeah. But if if their main goal was just to have the money, you could have just taken the money and called the police and been like, hey, we just, this guy just died in he our died flat. He yeah, yeah. yeah. died in our flat. I mean, this is, you know, we didn't do anything. It's not like they killed him or anything. Yeah. Not like there was any, there was nothing about that guy that would lead to any su suspicion of, um, murder you know sure. he wasn't he wasn't stabbed he wasn't shot he wasn't bludgeoned to death or anything like that um so it, it's kind of just a a plot contrivance just to set our characters down this dark road that i think is a little a little shaky to start out with but i i overall really like the film a lot sure. i mean it's a it's 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 a good yeah. first movie from a director oh yeah for sure I've seen worst first movies from directors. So, yeah, I yeah. mean, there are worst. There are worse. Um, and it just kind of, you know, goes to show that, you know, the first films are kind of a, a director's, you know, trying out period. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, they're really trying out, like we said earlier, to define or refine their, well, Bo Boyle, their style. Boyle was working in TV. Um, so yeah. he, he wasn't completely a newbie, but he, in, when it came to film, he this was his first you know feature film so yeah right and yeah but, features yeah. are different than tv and oh yeah there's a different flow different yeah. different different uh production you know as we talked about production in our last episode it's a different way of of tv yeah. and movie production are very different so and but, uh, i mean i just want i'm just thinking of this um there's this there's this scene in the film towards the later on where it's, it's kind of this nightmare scene that Alex is having where it looks like he's crawling around somewhere. And I don't know if that's to indicate uh, to indicate to us that that's when he like hid the money away because he went and got it from the loft and then hid it away. I'm not sure. But yet, yet again, the film ends in a very uh, mysterious and tragic ending. Yeah. Um... And to go with what you were saying, you know, is Alex dead or alive? I get one could make the argument that he maybe is still alive. Perhaps I mean it wasn't a fatal wound. It, it just it just seemed the scenario seemed a little out of place that the cops would just leave him stabbed on the floor and take pictures and start dusting the place and not tend to the uh, the person right. that's still alive. Yeah. I mean it's you know what I mean. It could have been. You're right. That that's the one thing where I think it's playing with. Like, I agree like with you. I think because because Danny Boyle has went on to do oh, other yeah. movies where surrealism kind of plays a part. Oh um, yeah, definitely in Train Spotting, in Trance. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's he his filmography is very diverse. Yeah. Very diverse. His '90s filmography is very interesting. Um, yeah. 
it's you know we got shallow grave we got train spotting um we have um what is considered his worst film um well, i mean worst film that's you know subjective of course but that would be uh where is it oh the beach starring leonardo dicaprio which is it's, okay. it's okay it's okay it's okay it's okay yeah, it, it's I, th- I believe it's based on a novel, and I think it's the f- well, it was the second time he'd worked on you know previous, you know, work in a previous medium because Train Spotting was is a novel. Yeah. Um, but this film is also kind of a series of, of firsts, like we said, it's in you know his first feature, Ewan McGregor's first feature, but it's also the um, feature debut for the writer uh, John Hodge, who wrote a bunch of Danny Boyle stuff. Um, not only, not only um Shallow Grave, but he did screenplays for Train Spotting, The Beach, um, Trance, and T Two, Train Spotting or Train Spotting Two. They should just call it Train Spotting Two. The T Two thing, that's kind of ridiculous because <laughs> it's only it's only reserved for one T Two. <laughs> yeah, Judgment Day. <laughs> judgment um, Day. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean it's it I I. I really enjoyed watching this again. It's a very interesting first film, and and uh, it's always cool to go back and see filmmakers that are, you know, considered kind of masters now, and go back and look at their early stuff. It's it's always fun to go back and and see what that was like. Um, yes, um, and the film is available to watch on DVD on Blu-ray uh, from the Criterion Collection. Yeah, uh, the Criterion came out in June of two thousand and twelve. And it was probably one of the first Criterions I ever bought at the Barnes & Noble yep, me uh, too. biannual Criterion sale because it had just come out. And, I had, and that was actually probably my first big sale. Like, yeah. I had gone there a year before, but 2012 is when I started collecting them in bulk, you know, yeah. you know buying five, six titles at a time um, at, the, at, these, at these, you know, store visits. And this was one of the first ones I got, and, and I probably hadn't watched it since then. Because back then, my collection wasn't as big as it was now. So when I bought things, I would watch them right away, as yeah. opposed to just letting them sit around for months, which is something I do now because <laughs> I've got such a backlog of things to watch. But yeah, so this was one of the first ones I I I bought, and yeah, it's got some really good special features. Uh, it's got two audio commentaries by Danny Boyle and screenwriter John Hodge, uh, and producer Andrew McDonald, which I think was also. His first producerial credit, I think, is, is Shallow Grave mm-hmm. as well. Um, new interviews with uh, Eccleston, Carrie Fox, Ewan McGregor. Uh, 93 documentary about the making of the film. Um, there's a video diary from the making of the film. Uh, of course, there's the lovely um, uh, trailer and train spotting teaser because. Ah, yes. Well, can't wait till train spotting comes out. <laughs> <laughs> But and of course, there's a, there's yeah. a booklet with an essay by critic yeah, yeah. Philip Kemp. So yeah, that's that's the Blu-ray in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 a really really good film that I highly recommend people to watch because I wasn't even aware that it existed until like I bought it. Like yeah. I'm like Shallow Grave, what's that? Oh, it's a film by Danny Boyle. And by that point, I mean by that Slumdog Slumdog Millionaire had just come out and he won Best at Director. Yeah, that was yeah. yeah. It was a few years at, but after that, um, so yeah, I knew very well in who Danny Boyle was. By that point, I had probably um, seen a couple of his films, 
I probably had definitely seen Slumdog by that point. I probably Sunshine. definitely seen Twenty Eight Days Later. Um, this was right. Yeah, 127 hours had come out already. I mean, so you I probably, probably had seen, that, seen 28, that 28 days later. What's that? 28 days later. Yeah, tw- what did I say? I don't know. Oh, don't yeah, know 28 days said. later. Yeah. You said you said tw- 27 127 hours. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. Which, which is also Danny Boyle, but That is true. All right. Um oh, well, that's so going to be that, that's I think that's going to Is that about good? Yeah. I think I think we covered it. Um yeah. where can where can we find you, Andrew? You can find me on Twitter at Capzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Capzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings. You can also find uh, all the stuff, all the goodies I buy uh, on our Cinema Discovery Project Instagram. Uh, we also have the, the audio for this podcast on our YouTube channel. Uh, you can find it on Podbean, Apple Podcast, and that will be it for this episode of the Cinema Discovery Project. Thank you for listening, and hey... Keep on watching the movies. I know I will.